Amen. Welcome back. We are, as you know, going through this section on ways that we worship, looking at the different aspects of the things that we do as part of this worship service. Why do we do them? What should be happening in us? Why why did God make this part of what we do together? And I told you last week, last week we did communion, the Lord's Supper, and this week we're going to do baptism. The first four that we did, singing, praying, giving, preaching, everybody would agree with those. We didn't have to spend time asking the question of, well, why do we preach in a worship service? I mean, there are scores and scores of places in the Bible where we're told to teach and preach the word. Why do we sing? Because there's scores of places in the Bible that say sing to the Lord. But these last two, communion, the Lord's Supper, and baptism, those are a little more unusual. And in most churches, they don't happen every week. Communion does happen for us. Baptism That only happens when people become Christians, because that's when you baptize folks. So before we get into the Romans passage, I just want to do a quick survey with you. And you're welcome to follow along if you want, but I'm just going to jump as we move through scriptures of baptism in the history of the church. Why do we baptize people? Well, the same reason we do all this, because Jesus told us to. Because it's in the Bible. If you go to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, the very last thing Jesus said, he dies, he comes back to life, he spends a little over a month, about 40 days with his disciples, and then the last thing he says before he goes back up, literally ascends, flies up into the air, into the heavens, is, and you've heard it before, go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have told you. And so you've heard Tim do his plain analogy. That's discipleship, that great commission, those two things, baptism and teaching, two wings of the plane, because a plane don't fly with one wing. One is baptism, that's evangelism, bringing people to Christ, and the other is training. So in theological terms, justification, becoming a Christian, sanctification, growing as a Christian, becoming more like Christ. And we very rightly say baptism means evangelism. Because it does. Baptism includes preaching to people. It includes telling people about Christ. It includes their acceptance of Christ. But of course, it also includes baptism. Jesus doesn't say evangelize people. He doesn't say preach to people. He doesn't say see people converted, have them become Christians. He says baptize them. That's what he told us to do. And so we do. And if you go through the book of Acts, which is the record of the early church, From the very beginning, this is what the church does. So in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes on the believers. It's the birth of the church. It's craziness. People aren't sure what's going on. Peter preaches the very first sermon we have in the New Testament. And he tells people that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. When God said everyone would get his spirit. And people's response is, oh my gosh, what do we do? Like, how, how should we respond to this? And Peter says, repent. Repent, be baptized, become Christians. And we're told they do. Thousands of people become Christians. And the very next thing is that they get baptized. And if you go from there through the book of Acts and just watch everyone who becomes a Christian, they all get baptized. In Acts 18, Philip, one of the evangelists, a deacon, goes up to Samaria, preaches. A bunch of Samaritans believe and they're baptized. Later in chapter eight of Acts, Peter visits an official of Ethiopia, which is, he's an African, he's from down in Africa, but he's come to Jerusalem, he's Jewish. He's come to Jerusalem for the festivals. He preaches the gospel to him, the guy believes, and they're riding along in a chariot, they pass some water, and the guy's like, hey, 
uh, I could be baptized right now, right? Philip's like, absolutely. They get out of the chariot and Philip baptizes him. That's the first thing you do after you become a Christian. You get baptized. In chapter 9 of Acts, Saul, who becomes Paul, God renames him Paul, he becomes a Christian. And it says immediately, he was baptized. That's the first thing you do when you become a Christian. In chapter 10, a Roman becomes a Christian. So now we've moved out from people who are Jewish, although they're from all these different areas, these people who are ethnically Jewish, like the Samaritans, and you people who are Jewish by choice, like the, the Ethiopian guy. Now you've got a Roman centurion. And he becomes a Christian, and it says immediately, he and his whole household, they all get baptized. Paul starts planting churches, and you see, when you see individuals become Christians, they get baptized. So he goes to the city of Philippi, a woman named Lydia. She's just there on business. She doesn't even live there. But she hears him preaching, and she becomes a Christian, and she's baptized. A little while later, he gets arrested, thrown into prison, of course, being Paul, the jailer becomes a Christian. And he's immediately baptized. In Acts 18, the very last person listed to become a Christian in the book of Acts is Crispus, the synagogue leader in the city of Corinth. Guess what? He's baptized. I mean, that is what happens in the scriptures. When people become Christians, they're baptized. Now, you don't have to get baptized to be a Christian, just like everything else. And it's a gift. If you take it, it's yours. But it's the very next thing. It's the very next bit of obedience. And today, we're going to talk about, like, like why? What's God doing with that? What, why should you care? Aside from the fact Jesus told us to do it, right? We, we should be baptized because it's obedience. Jesus said do it, so we should do it. But as always, there's so much more going on. So now, turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. If you remember in the fall of 2019, when we went through the first eight chapters of Romans, Romans is a big, long argument. It's all tied in together. So let me give you a little context of what's going on here. In Romans chapter 5, Paul is explaining how Adam, as in Adam and Eve, the first person ever made, how Adam disobeyed God. Remember the story. God makes Adam and Eve. They're in a garden. God says, hey, do whatever you want. Don't eat that tree. The fruit of that tree is poison. It'll kill you. Don't eat it. And Adam disobeys. Eve is deceived and she eats. Adam just disobeys. Now, they're both wrong, but we understand there's a qualitative difference between doing what's wrong because you were tricked and doing what's wrong because you just did it. And so sin is never placed on Eve, even though she actually sinned first. The sin of the world is placed on Adam because he did it willfully. He knew what he was doing, and he did it anyway. He wasn't tricked. And Paul says, if you look back at Romans chapter 5, in verse 12, he says, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so Adam sinned, and that let sin in, and God said, if you eat that tree, the fruit, you're going to die. Sure enough, God tells the truth, death comes in, just as death came through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. What Adam did when he disobeyed has rippled down through history to everyone. Everyone is a sinner because of Adam. You're not sinful when at age, I don't know what, two weeks old, two hours old, whatever it is, you first are selfish. You were born sinful. And it's not fair. You didn't do it. You didn't deserve it. It's not fair. 
But Paul says it's reality because it is reality. Sin is sinful. Evil is evil. Evil does not sit around thinking, how can I harm the least number of people by this terrible deed? It is trying to do as much damage as it can. And so it does. And it's still true in the world today. I am confident not a single one of you were involved in the Enron scandal. If you, if you cook the books for WorldCom, would you please raise your hand so we can all blame you for that? Like, none of you had anything to do with the Enron scandal, but I know some of you suffered from it. I know it harmed some of you. It wasn't your fault, but you were harmed by it. Right, so I want to propose a story, and I'm going to use this story in the rest of the sermon. My son Nick is in graduate school, okay? So I want you to imagine that he goes this fall to get his tuition money because we and his grandparents have been putting money aside for years and years for his schooling. It's, you know, a 529. You can put money in and it grows tax-free and all that good stuff, but you got to use it for education. So this fall, Nick goes to the 529 to get his tuition money out and it's all gone. The fund is empty. I did it. I have four 3D printers, but it wasn't enough. It's just, it's just taken me over. I can't control myself. When I print in gold, I don't want gold plastic. I want gold, gold, right? I took all of Nick's money, every dime, and it's gone. I've spent it on 3D printing junk. So that's it. No school for Nick, right? It's my sin. Is it Nick's fault that I'm addicted to 3D printing and stole the money? No, of course not. He has zero to do with that, but he will suffer for it. And that's what Paul says happened. Adam sinned and we are all suffering for it. But, Paul goes on to say later in chapter 5, but just because Adam did this and you suffer for it and it's not fair, the solution isn't fair either. Because look what Paul will say in verse 18 of chapter 5. Consequently, just as one trespass, so that's Adam's sin, Adam's refusal to obey Obey God. One trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. So also one righteous act, Jesus on the cross. One righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many, us, we're all made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. It's totally unfair that Adam's sin has harmed you and it's totally unfair that Jesus' righteousness has saved you. Neither of them is your fault. It's as if in keeping my story about Nick, Tim comes up to him after all this comes out and he's like, oh, Nick, I, I saw it happening in your dad. I, I, sh I should have said something. At staff meeting, he got more and more agitated. You know, um, I'm really sorry, here. And he hands Nick a check for all the money that was in the 529 account, all of it. Here, put that in your account go back to school, right? Nick didn't do anything to make the money disappear. That's my fault. He didn't do anything to make the money come back. That's Tim's generosity. He wasn't at fault. He doesn't get credit or blame either way. That's what Paul says happened. Adam sinned and yep, that comes down and hurts you. Jesus didn't. And that comes down and saves you. Now, I'm telling stories about my kids. So, my daughter, this past year, in her English class, they studied persuasion. And really, no matter how you're trying to persuade people, there are similar 
aspects you have to use. Whether you're trying to sell somebody a car or win a debate or whatever, you've got to present the issue. You've got to give your side, show your solution to the problem. You've got to explain why your solution works or is best or is superior. And you need to anticipate people's objections. People are going to have objections to your solution. If you can anticipate them and sort of cut it off at the pass, that's good. That's what Paul's doing in chapter 6. Because there is an obvious objection to saying to someone, all your sins are forgiven. All of them. You didn't do anything? It's like that check Nick got. Right? Tim gives Nick a check. He puts it in the bank. It's his money. He doesn't have to spend it on school. He can go buy a Maserati. He can go do whatever he wants with it. It's his money. When it was in a 529, he could only use it, unless he was going to be like me and steal it, he could only use it for education. Now he can use it for anything. There's an obvious objection to all of your sins are covered. Past, present, and future, forever. There is nothing you can ever do to make God not stop loving you. There's nothing. There's no sin you can commit that will now separate you from him. That has been wiped clean. You know that chalkboard that had all your sins on them? It's been erased and it's been polyurethaned. Even if you tried to write on it, you couldn't. Nothing's going to stick. You are, that, that chalkboard is clean. Every time God looks at you, you are clean. You are sinless. That will never change. And the obvious question then is, so why be good? Why spend the money on school if he's just giving me free money? Why should I be good if it doesn't matter? I'm going to heaven anyway. And that's what they've just said. If you look back up at the end of verse 20, Paul said, where sin increased, oh, grace increased all the more. No matter how bad things were, no matter what you had done, no matter how much sin there was, is, or will be in your life, Jesus' grace increases to cover it. So, Read along with me as Paul anticipates the objection. Romans chapter 6, we'll just do the first five verses. Uh, the, the whole chapter is him answering the objection. But for baptism, we'll just take the beginning. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So how would you have answered that objection? All your sin is covered. There is nothing you can ever do. That chalkboard Nothing can ever be written on it. It has been polyurethaned. Nothing you ever do wrong will be recorded. It will never be counted against you. It's gone. It's done. Even as you sin, as Paul says, Jesus' grace just increases to cover it. You can never outrun his grace. He just covers it and covers it and covers it. How would you answer someone who said, well, gosh, <laughs> why be good then? You mean I can do whatever I want and, and I'm forgiven? God will still love me? I still go to heaven? Absolutely. Absolutely you can. You know, if you said that to me, right, I think I would probably, before reading this passage and thinking about it, I think I probably would have given you some moral platitudes. 
Like, okay, yeah, sure, you can do that, but I mean, do you, do you want to be that kind of person? That's kind of churlish, don't you think? That, that's kind of ungrateful. I mean, is that really the kind of person inside that you want to be? To which your answer might be, yes. Yes, that's exactly who I want to be. Do whatever you want. I would give you, I, I think, as I, as I thought about this over the week, I think I would try and like argue with you from some sort of moral standpoint of you really don't want to be that person. Wow, Paul doesn't say anything like what I'd say. When people say that to Paul, his comment is, but we're dead. How could we do that again? Paul doesn't argue, no, you don't want to do that. You shouldn't do that. Paul argues, what? You're dead. Okay, now, full disclosure, I do not feel dead. You don't look dead to me. I I mean, just like... How? What? How can you possibly? How can Paul say, we've died? And so he's got to explain this. He's got to run with it a little. His explanation is, we have been united to Christ. We died with Christ. And that's changed this whole equation. So, my story about Nick. Imagine, Tim gives him the money, it's in the account. Sometime next fall, you to go to McDonald's, and there's Nick working at McDonald's. And you're like... Well, I, I thought you were in class. I thought you were in school. And Nick says to you, oh, I would love to be in school, but you know, my, my, didn't you hear my dad stole all the money? He took all of it. He emptied the account. It's gone. I can't go to school. Now, every single fact that he listed was true. But the conclusion he came to was absolutely wrong. Why? Because he's missing something. He's missing one more point. A, B, C, D, G. He's missing the fact that Tim has put money back in the account. Yes, he's right. I stole the account. Yes, he's right. I emptied it. Yes, he's right. It's gone. He'll never get it back. But he forgot. He didn't lie. He didn't say anything wrong. But he didn't get the whole truth. Because there's another truth that is very important. Tim put the money back. When you say, oh, therefore I can't go to school, no, you're totally wrong. You've missed something important. There's money in your account. It's been filled back up. You absolutely can go to school. Paul anticipates this objection. Well, why not? Why not keep sinning? And his response is, you're forgetting something. You are forgetting that we have died. If we're dead to these things, how could we go on sinning? Okay, so how do we know we died? I mean, I don't remember dying. Maybe you remember dying. How do we know we died with Christ? Because we were baptized, Paul said. Baptism is what reminds us that we died with Christ. Don't you know, or literally, are you ignorant? All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Paul says our baptism, that's how we know we died with Christ. Now, remember, we are not talking about salvation. This passage did not begin, how shall we be saved? What do we have to do to have eternal life? This passage is for Christians raising the objection, wait a minute, you mean all my sin is wiped away? I can do whatever I want? Well, then why shouldn't I do whatever I want? This is not about salvation. It's about how do we turn away from sin? 
When sin comes to you, I mean, I don't know about you, but this certainly happens to me, and I'll bet it happens to you. When sin comes knocking, saying to you, you got to do this. I mean, you got to. You know you've got to. There's no way you can possibly resist this. You've never resisted it before. You're not going to resist it now. There's only one way you're going to stop this, and that's to give in. You got to. You have to do this. What do you say back? I think most of us say, no, I'll be strong. I won't do that, right? We're we're, we're gonna muscle our way through it. Victory in Christ. (laughs) Paul's answer is, what you say back to sin? I think you're confusing me with someone else. I, 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 I know the guy you're talking about. He died. You're, you, you don't, you're looking for someone else. He's gone. Thank you so much. And close the door. The guy you're talking about, you're right. Everything you said is true. You're right. That guy gave in every time. You're right. He always did these things. You're right. He never turned aside. You are. Everything you've said is true. Oh, but you've forgotten that important step. You've missed that one really important point. He's gone. He's dead. I'm sorry, you're mistaking me. I know I look like him, sound like him. You are mistaking me for someone else, Paul says. You've got the wrong guy. How do you know he's dead? I was there. I was there when the water closed up around him. I was there when he died. I know, I felt it. I felt the water come up all over me. I no, he's dead. Jesus, Jesus literally dies, like dead, buried in the ground. And then he literally comes back to life. Tomb is open, body walking around. But somehow, in the same way that I cannot explain to you how that chalkboard, which would be a really big board in my case, that had all of my sin written on it, how all that got erased and transferred to Jesus' board, and all the good stuff on Jesus' board got put on my board. It's not even blank when they shellacked over it. It's full of all this great stuff I never did. Every time God looks at you, Scripture says, he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness, the good deeds, everything Jesus did that was right. When God looks at you, that's what he sees. Because Jesus has clothed us just like that water comes up around you in baptism. I have... I can't explain to you how that happened. I can just tell you scripture is emphatic on the fact that it did. I can't explain to you how it is that we were united with Christ in his death, but scripture is emphatic that it happened. And baptism, baptism is the reminder of that. Baptism is the physical sign, the reality. You may not even remember when you became Christians, right? For some of you, it was dramatic. For some of you, it was long time. For some of you, it was, you're so young, you don't even remember, right? You probably don't remember some spiritual transfer that took place where in the spirit realm, you were united with Christ in his death. And as scripture says over and over again, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a different person. The old one died but we don't remember that. So we're baptized because you can remember that. I remember, I was in early 20s. I was baptized in a lake in the mountains of North Carolina. It was in the summer. It was not as cold as it could have been. 
but I remember it. You can remember being baptized. It happened. It's a fact. It's a physical reality. Just like I told you, I wear this ring. It symbolizes something. It doesn't make me married. Oh, look, I took the ring off. I'm still married. It's a symbol of a reality. Not an idea, not a philosophy. It's a symbol of a person. Baptism is a symbol of a reality. We died with Christ. So that when sin comes knocking to tell us, hey, you've got to do this, or to tell us, look, God will love you anyway. Don't worry about it. You can do it. It's fine. Our response to sin is, I think you're mistaking me for someone else. The guy you're talking about, he's dead. Sorry. Baptism reminds us we were there when he died. I remember it. I remember the water of that lake coming up around me. We were there, Paul says. We're united with Christ in his death. And so, verse 4, we were buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Again, Jesus physically dies and he's physically raised. We spiritually die and then we're spiritually raised to a new life. We are a new person. We go down into the water and then we come back up out of it. And scripture says we are new. Now again, the water doesn't make you new. You're already new. You're new the moment you say to Jesus, I believe. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose again. The moment you say that, you are united to him in his death. You are united to him in his resurrection. All your sins are covered. Your name is in the book of life. All that happened. Boom. But baptism is a reminder. Like that band of gold on my finger. It doesn't make me married. It reminds me. It tells everyone. Everyone who sees it. I am married. It is a symbol of a person. Even though most of the world never met the person. Baptism is a symbol for us of the reality that happened. We have died. And when sin comes knocking, it's got the wrong house. Send it away. You're, that guy's gone. He's dead. There's nothing for you here. And Paul says in verse 5, if we've been united with him in a death like his, oh, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Baptism, we look back on our baptism and say, I died. I died with Christ. But we also look forward. Because one day what happened to Jesus, truly, physically, literally, will happen to everyone in this room. I mean, unless he comes back before that. Jesus died. He was buried. And then he came back to life. And one day, brothers and sisters, we will all die and be buried. And then we will all come back. Because Jesus is the firstborn among the dead, but ho oh, ho, he is not the last. There are millions, billions. Scripture says myriad upon myriad. Myriad means 10,000. It's the highest number they have. Like they, they don't do the base 10 thing, you know, 10, 100,000. They just have names. Myriad, 10,000. There's no higher number. If you want to say 100,000, then you have 10 myriads. You know, if you want to say a million, you have 100 myriads. That, that's how they talk. Bible says there are myriads upon myriads. 10,000 times 10,000 and more that will rise 
because Jesus rose. And baptism reminds us of that too. That day is coming. Just like you went under that water and then you came back up. One day you will go into the ground. Oh, and then you will come back up. It is as real and as true as what Jesus did. Paul says baptism, it is this physical reminder of this spiritual reality that we have died with Christ. We do lead a new life when sin comes calling. Next time you are tempted, try saying, I think you've got the wrong guy. I think that person's dead. Why don't you try down the street? But that person's not here. Take a hike. Martin Luther, it said, when he was, you know, he's being shuffled around and he's in exile and all these things are going on. It says, on his desk, in chalk, he wrote two words in Latin. Baptistum sum. I am baptized. He didn't write, I'm saved. He didn't write, God loves me. He didn't write, I'm a Christian. He wrote, I'm baptized. Because that, that covered all of it for him. All of it. God did love him. He is saved. He does live a new life. Nothing can ever take him out of God's hands. You can't unbaptize me. It's not possible. No one can ever unbaptize me. If you are a Christian, it cannot be done. You are baptized. If you are a believer, next time sin comes calling, next time you feel that that pull, that tug, I could do this, but I know it's not right. I could do this, and I know I'm going to get away with it. I could do this, and I've always given in. Try what Paul says here. That guy's dead. Go away. He's, he's not here. You're taught, you, you've mistaken me for someone else. And if you are a follower of Christ, and you have never been baptized, would you please get baptized? Again, you're still a Christian. You're still a follower. It, it, it's nothing to do with your salvation. But you remember what I said about giving? I mean, you're a fool not to give. You are leaving blessing on the table. It is free blessing. And you are leaving it there if you are not being generous as God has called you to be. You're foolish not to be baptized. I mean, this is one of the ways, Paul says, we fight the power of sin. It's not us. Yep, you're right. Everything you say about that guy is true. Shame, he's dead. Too bad. Go away. You're mistaking me for someone else. If you've not been baptized, please come talk to me. Come talk to Tim. Oh, we would love to baptize you. Now, we do do it as part of the service. We think it's part of worship to God. But it, Scripture doesn't say you have to do that. Ethiopian, you know, riding along, there's a pool of water. It's just the two of them. You do not have to get baptized publicly. You don't have to speak. It doesn't have to be in our pool, right? All those are just, just the affectations, the, the ways, the traditions of our church and other churches. But please, if you've never been baptized, talk to me. We, we've, we've stayed after services before and baptized people. We've come in on other days of the week. People have had family in. They want to get baptized Wednesday. I'll come. You want to get baptized Tuesday afternoon? I'm here. Absolutely. If you've never been baptized, I think you are leaving power on the table. You are leaving power to say to sin, take a hike. 
That guy's gone. Now, it's still true, but when you're baptized, you know it's true. You felt it. That water came up around you. You know. You know that you died. Baptism reminds us of that. You can never be unbaptized. If you've never been baptized, please come talk to me or Tim. We'll set a time to do it. If you're willing to do it in the service, that's great because it's an encouragement to everybody. But if that doesn't work for you, fine. We will find a time. We'll get in a chariot and ride till we come to some water. And we'll get down like the Ethiopian guy and baptize you if you want to be super biblical. Please. I mean, it's obedience. Jesus told us to do it. That should be enough. But it's also part of God's answer, his power for us to say no to sin. And if you have been baptized, then remember, next time sin comes calling, I think you're mistaking me for somebody else. I think that guy died. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We are united with you in your death, but you died. (laughs) We spiritually died. You really, truly, physically, literally died. You were crucified you died, you were buried, you descended into hell. And for all of us who have said we believe you, that will not happen. We will die and we will jump straight to the next verse of the creed on the third day he rose again. We will jump from died and was buried to rose again. Thank you, that is so kind of you, that is so generous. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for anybody who follows you, who calls you their Lord and Master, but for whatever reasons hasn't been baptized. I pray you would talk to them. Let them know that's something you want them to do. It's important to you, and it should be important to them. And Lord, I know, it's weird. We don't do it elsewhere in our world. It was common back then. It wasn't strange. It's weird for us. Jesus, I pray you give folks courage. You be merciful to them. Help them be gracious and kind to themselves. Come up with a way to obey that works for them. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. And I pray you would remind us when we are tempted, and we, wow, we are tempted all the time. Next time we are tempted to say to ourselves what Martin Luther said, I'm baptized. That guy's dead. There's nothing for you here. Jesus, we are so We're so desperately in need of your death and resurrection. We are so desperately in need of your power to be at work in us, to turn aside from from all that sin calls us to, to turn aside from the temptation of knowing that you you won't turn away from us, even if we do sin, that, that your love will never be taken from us. Thank you. You are so kind. You risk so much by giving us everything and requiring nothing in return. You are risking that we will obey you out of love because you do not require us to obey you out of fear. Thank you. You are so, so gracious to us. Holy Spirit, be at work in us this week that we would remember this power to turn away from sin. We have died. Baptism proves it. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. We pray everything in your name. You are our God. Amen. Now, let's remind ourselves another way. We talked about it last week. Another reality that we remind ourselves of each week. 
that Jesus did die for us. He has come back. We, we take the bread. We take the cup. We do just what he says. We remember. We remind ourselves. We preach to one another. Until he comes back, we are saved. We know that. It's a reality. So I'm going to pray for us again. I'm going to pray over the elements. When I'm done, as always, there are four tables in the four corners. They're all the same. And then there's gluten-free down here to my right if you need that. After I finish praying, just get up. Go to whichever corner looks like it has the least people or the one that's closest to you. Get the bread. Get the cup. Bring it back. And then, as always, I will read the passage we looked at last week. And we will take, take it together. We will preach to one another as we remind ourselves of the reality of what Jesus has done. So pray with me again. Thank you, Lord. You know, that's what we always say here. Thank you. You did not have to do this. You could have been just. But I think of what the psalmist says, that your throne is founded on justice and righteousness. But what flows from it is love and mercy. Thank you. Thank you that you have taken justice on yourself. That's what we remember. That, that chalkboard with all my sin, it got erased because of what you did, not what I did. It is a free gift to me if I want it. It is a free gift to all of us. We only have to accept it. Like Tim handing a check to Nicholas. You just got to take it. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's never taken that, that they would. That, that they would believe, they would accept it. They would say to you that they believe you. And Jesus, for all of us who do believe you, remind us again, because you know we forget. You know how fickle we are. You know how busy we are. You know how this world pulls us away from you so easily. Remind us again that you have died for us. There is no condemnation ever for us, for we are in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We pray these things in your name, as always. Amen.